Titans and head coach Mike Malarkey mutually agree to part ways. Welcome into the Titan Sized Podcast. I'm Luke Orsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Sized Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. And I think after last night's uh, Ian Rappaport report, this wasn't a podcast we were expecting to have, was it? I mean, we, we were kind of sitting here thinking that we were about to have a season recap and start to look ahead toward next year. Surely uh, everyone was very um, level-headed about last night uh, when it was when it was reported that, that Malarkey was offered an, an extension. Oh, yeah, the, people uh, took that news really well. Yeah, 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 people were excited about the future, definitely. So <laughs> we weren't expecting today to happen. Uh, I wasn't, at least. I, I mean, I guess it was – maybe I should have read more into it that he only got offered an extension and hadn't accepted it. Um, so there was obviously the possibility that that would happen today could happen. But, um, I mean, I, I think it was the right decision in the end. Um, uh, and, and if it's true that Malarkey wouldn't change his staff um, like the front office wanted, um, then Malarkey had to go because Terry Robisky could not be this mm-hmm. team's offensive coordinator. Um, and then the talent on this team just did not play to – to its level, and a lot of that was due to the coaching. So I, I believe it was the right move. Well, before we get into talking about more specifics about the firing and the press conference and what the future looks like, let, let's talk about how we reacted and how we found out about this because I think for all three of us, it being a holiday was a day off, and so we all kind of woke up late. I, I think I woke up 30 minutes after it had been announced, and my phone was absolutely packed with notifications of people Saying, actually, the first thing I saw was um, a message from Will, because I, I, I was wondering, Will, how you were going to react to the n- news of Mariota staying, because I, I hadn't heard, or, or Malarkey staying, because I hadn't heard from you yet, and so when I woke up, I was like, oh, I wonder what Will had to say, and then the first thing I saw is, Will, we did it, and I was like, what did we do exactly? <laughs> and then I looked, and, and I was... I, I, I immediately thought it was fake when I saw the Titans tweeting, we've parted ways with Malarkey. I immediately thought it was either like an old tweet or it was fake, but but it was real, and um, I was very shocked, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, since since, since it was a day off, I was uh, catching up on my beauty sleep, um, <laughs> so, so I, slept, I slept a lot, not going to lie, and, and until like an hour, an hour and a half after it happened, I woke up and... Uh, uh, one of my friends um, um, texted me, "Congrats!" And I was like, "Dude, what are you talking about? What do you What do you mean?" And then I go, I, I go on Twitter. I see the text messages. I see the messages uh, from from Will and Luke, and I'm like, "Wow, this really happened!" And uh, what we what we thought, uh, I mean, I, I tweeted from the Times Size account yesterday that this seemed like, I mean, we've been saying it kind of for months, uh, that this seemed like it was a Mike Munchak situation, um, that if if Malarkey was so was so just um, set on having Terry Robisky that uh, this could be where the front office and him just have a disconnect and it, it wouldn't work out and they would mutually part ways and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's it's weird because um, I got I got on Twitter to send the message because you know we I can't say exactly what I said because we'd have to change the rating to explicit on this but uh, <laughs> I I was like I'm gonna send a message and I hope I'm the first first one to send one and I sent one and then for about 10 minutes I got no response and I was like it, did I read it wrong so I went back and looked <laughs> when I first read it I thought it said I thought it was just them announcing the contract extension and I was 
furious, so I didn't look real hard anyway. And then I read it again just to make sure and know it was that they, you know, parted ways with Mike Malarkey. So I, I had to sit there and look for a second, and then I sent it, and then I thought I misread it, so I sent, I almost sent it again. And then I clarified, and I was like, Malarkey's done, just in case they didn't know what I was talking about. And then, because I was, I had gotten up to go work out, and I, I mean, it's Martin Luther King Day, so not every, not a lot of people was there, but in my head, as soon as this happened, it was just business as usual. So I was like, okay, let's go through and send some stuff. And I, I mean, it, it was it was surreal when it felt like there was almost no hope last night that any changes were going to be. I mean, we were looking down the barrel of a gun of, of having to go through another regression like we did this year, except mm -hmm. at this point, you know, I don't know who would have survived it. And it, it all seemed like a matter of uh, when, not if, which – if you've got a good coach and he takes you to the playoffs, your first thought shouldn't be, yeah, but can you imagine what this team will look like with a better coach? Because that was all of our thoughts because of how poorly the team had performed all year. So, uh, so I mean, seeing it that morning was kind of just – it came out of nowhere. But, yeah, it was definitely exciting. And I think uh, when you look at this firing, from a football perspective, I don't think there's really a need for us to sit here and talk about how bad the offense was because we've done that all year. It's well documented. But the problem was that you have a team who finished the season 9-7, and seven, albeit disappointingly, but made the playoffs for the first time in 10 years and won a playoff game against a really good Kansas City Chiefs team. And they're playing the Patriots on Divisional Weekend and had the lead at one point, albeit not for very long. But and when you look at that, you're like, wow, this is a team really on the uptick. Next year is going to be exciting. And you had fans, after this extension offer was announced, losing their minds over this. I mean, you said it, Matias. People saying they were going to cancel their season tickets, saying they had no interest in supporting this product, saying they didn't want to sit through another season of malarkey offense. And while that certainly didn't impact their decision, this idea necessarily, but the fact that that was the case shows that something had to give and that something was clearly wrong with what was going on because the product in terms of like wins that the team was putting on the field was pretty good, but how they were getting those wins and the teams they were getting them against that weren't very good teams, that was what the fans weren't seeing. And I think for just a long time this season in particular, there's just kind of been a disconnect between the, the coaching staff especially and the fans. And we'll talk about the press conference from yesterday in a second. But, I mean, it, it was alarming the way that fans were responding to this. Yeah, it really was. And, I mean, I, I, it got to the point where I, I couldn't even blame them because uh, I, as much as I loved going 9-7 and seven for a second year in a row and finally getting away from those 2-14, and 3-13 and 13 teams, um, they, we just weren't all that good this season as a team. And considering how, how good we were last year uh, and the amount of talent that John Robinson has added uh, in, in two short years, I mean, we were just expecting a lot more, uh, and we really didn't get it. And and the coaching staff just was reluctant to change, and it, it, inevitably it was, it, was, it was its demise. Um, I, I'll say this. I, I had a good season just because of that Chiefs win uh, and because I went to that Jaguars game at the end of the season. Uh, with that Mariota stiff arm. Those two games were absolutely awesome moments uh, as a fan, and especially as a fan of a team 
uh, and of a franchise that hasn't been good for quite a while. Um, despite that, I thought that that we we had reached our ceiling with Malarkey. I really didn't see this team um, getting all that much better than nine and seven, uh, going maybe ten and six or eleven and five, and advancing past the second round of the playoffs. I don't know how you can sell yourself that that was going to happen in the future. Uh, it, it just seemed like next season we we were going to bottom out completely. So uh, I, I, by the end of the season, I, I, I was fully on that. board with the, the, the yeah. idea of bottoming out next season. It's, and you see it so often in the NFL, um, these teams that have really good seasons or, or, or they have a winning season uh, and then variance hits, uh, which it seemed it was going to hit the Titans next season because, I mean, our point differential this year was, what, mi- minus 22 or something like that? Our, our offense was terrible. So it, regression, it, I mean, I, in my opinion, was inevitable next season. So uh, I, I'm on board with it, uh, and I'm excited. I, I'm excited for the future. Yeah, I mean, it felt a lot like, um, to me, that we were the Bengals where they had Marvin Lewis as a head coach, and it looked like, okay, you're a bad team for so long, which is what it's felt like being a Titans fan. You finally reached above mediocrity, but you're never going to go to the Super Bowl, and you'll win nine, ten games a season and then maybe win one playoff game and then go out. And if you're okay with that, stay the course. And if you would ask me two years ago if I was okay with that, I would have said, yeah. But like most Titans fans, we were so tired of being beaten down and being a laughingstock that if you could promise us a wild card spot and a chance to make the playoffs every year, we would have signed up. But now that we've seen you know, what this team looks like in terms of John Robinson's ability to build and add talent, you know, now that we've been one of the better teams in terms of you know, young players and and, you know, hitting on draft picks, it's kind of shifted the mentality. And with that has to come, you know, a change in leadership if you don't think somebody can get you farther. And this is a team that has all the potential in the world to go farther. And it, it was good to see from the fan base that they weren't going to accept mediocrity again and, you know, potentially worse, like we talked about, if the bottom fell out. So uh, it, it was good to see that from the fans. And, and I, I was you know, all on board with that. So it's, it's weird because like I said, two years ago, I would have loved to have a coach like Malarkey and he's done a great job bringing us to this point and kind of instilling a culture and a mindset. Now we've just got to get somebody who can execute at a high level. Now that we know that, you know, we've got the base here for a good team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me, let me say uh, it. This word is used a lot in sports. Um, uh, being a stopgap, which is essentially just uh, a middleman to hold you over into, until something new or better comes. And Mike Malarkey was a fantastic stopgap. John Robinson, he wasn't John Robinson's head coach pick. He was kind of forced upon John Robinson. And go, uh, going 9-7 and seven, two seasons in a row after being so bad for so long, completely changing the identity and the culture of his team and this organization, Mike Malarkey should absolutely be applauded. Um but in terms of the future and in terms of the development of Marcus Mariota, uh, it was the right decision to, to, to go forward uh, without him. Great. So let's talk for just a second about the uh, press conference from yesterday. Not, not the John Robinson press conference, the Mike Malarkey season-ending press conference. So when I first heard that press conference and saw the quotes that came out of it, my first thought was, okay, you know, he's just kind of being – this is a very – PR kind of press conference, you know, 
you're not going to say everything's going to change next year. You know, I thought Terry did a good job. Marcus is fine, whatever. And then you go and, you you know, you do make changes to the staff. But considering the fact that we now know everything he said, he actually believed 100% that he believed that Terry Robisky did a great job. He believed that Marcus Mariota's development had been on track after a horrific season and uh, that he believed there wouldn't be any changes to his staff. The fact that he actually – you know, fundamentally, fundamentally believed those things, for me, was kind of the deciding factor. The fan in me said, it's time to go. Because this team, as you mentioned, Matias, would have bottomed out in all likelihood. And even if they didn't and they finished this way again next year, it was never going to get any better than it was this year or last year. Yeah, and I mean, these situations are always tough because I mean, Mike Malarkey is so close to to the to his coaching staff because he he handpicked them and he's he's known them for years, so it's really tough. I mean, imagine going out uh, to the media uh, and and telling them <laughs> telling them that your best friend did a terrible job last year. It, it just it, it it's ridiculous. But I, and just imagine going behind the scenes uh, and having to to let go of one of your best friends. So it's really tough. Uh, I, I do feel for him, but I mean. This is a job. You're getting paid to do it, um, and you need to make changes when, when they need to be made for the betterment of the organization because it's not only about you or or just about your friends. So it's tough. And I mean blindly saying or stubbornly saying that Terry Robisky did a very good job when Taylor Luan, your franchise left tackle, the day before is the one that said that the offense underachieved. I mean, that is a complete disconnect between him and his team right there. And also saying that Marcus Mar- that he was pleased with Mar- Marcus Mariota's development is just – that was kind of a slap in the face of every fan who was watching the games because it was very, very clear that Marcus Mariota regressed. Everyone saw it. The front office saw it. Uh, and Mike Malarkey just completely failed to, to acknowledge that it happened. And, I mean, a big part of being a head coach is taking accountability for – for stuff what when it goes right or when it goes wrong uh and it seemed a lot of the times that Mike Malarkey just wouldn't wouldn't take accountability for what was going on uh and I think that played a factor in all this it, there's one thing on offense that matters to me and that's if you can score points and last year not this year last year they did a good job at it they were 14th in the NFL in points this year, they're 19th, and really, there's not that big of a difference between them and the 22nd-ranked team. So, I mean, this team could just as easily have been a bottom 10 unit instead of, you know, barely cracking the top 20. It's it's just hard to watch that and see it unfold, you know, right in front of us and then have a coach come out and tell us, essentially— the offense is doing great, and if you don't agree, you just must not understand how hard it is to coach in the NFL. And that's that's kind of a lot of what we got with Malarkey, and I think he's a great guy, and he's obviously a great friend, just like Mike Munchak was. But, it's the, you know, there's a time when you have to have accountability, and it, it just wasn't there for the offensive coordinator, and that's kind of why we ended up here. Um it's, it's weird because you see guys like we talked about, like Taylor Lewan, admit that there's an issue. And all Malarkey really had to do to kind of satiate me was to say, yeah, there's an issue. You know, Marcus missed some throws, but it was more concept-based. That's why we didn't 
it, you know, that's why we're not any better than we were last year and why we regressed some, but we'll, you know, adapt. And you could say that and that'd be fine. But when I see high draft picks not develop, when I see DeMarco Murray regress because of injuries, but them still not put in Derrick Henry, when I see, mm-hmm. when you see all these things that just don't happen and that should happen, it, it just, it, it it's hard to fathom a head coach coming out and looking at the camera with a straight face and saying, everything's fine. You, you, if you, if you think there's something wrong, you, you just don't know what you're looking at. And hearing that week after week after week, when Mariota has to make all these comeback drives to win games against teams like the Browns. And, you know, you have to have him to barely, to, you know, to even compete with a team like Miami who beat us when we had Matt Castle in, you know, when stuff like that happens and you tell me that that's the same team that whooped up on Green Bay at home last year, it just – you can't convince me of that. And to, it's just insulting to have it happen. You know, other than maybe the Houston Texans game, the, the one later in the season, and perhaps the Colts game, uh, the, the, the first one, there wasn't a single game this season where afterwards I was like – you know, you know. Wow, the Titans really showed us that they're contenders. Maybe the Jaguars game in week two, but I, I mean, mm-hmm. constantly every Seahawks single game, game yeah. fans calling into radio stations saying this is boring. It's going to end poorly eventually, and it kind of did against the Patriots. But I mean, it all goes back, I think, to the disconnect, this the the tone deafness, this idea that every like you know the dog emoji where they say everything is fine and the computers are burning in the background or the the meme not the emoji it's that he was saying everything is fine not just it was fine he said it was great he said things were going really well when things very clearly weren't going very well and 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 they had kind of very clearly hit their ceiling uh but we we kind of said a lot of bad things about mike malarkey just then and we're probably going to say some more but I think, as you said, Matias, he did great for this organization. He instilled a culture when there was none. He put high-character mm-hmm. performers on this football team, and he got it to a place where I think uh, Mike from Music City Miracles said this on Twitter. He said, you know, I am happy where I'm at a point where at the end of the Titans season I feel upset instead of just nothing. You know, and he got us to that point mm-hmm. where we're upset with a playoff win and a nine and seven record instead of after a three win season just being like, well, all right, let's hear about the draft now. Like, no, we're not talking about the draft right now because we're talking about a coaching search <laughs> for a team that says they want to win the Super Bowl, not a team that sounds like they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, this is a this is a completely different organization now. Um, than it was just three years ago. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with Malarkey and, and what he brought to this organization um, coming in as an interim head coach and then taking over as the full-time head coach. So um, I, I, I'm proud of what he accomplished. Um, and I honestly, I really hope he, he finds another job and I, I hope he finds success somewhere else because he was always a really nice guy um, and he did his job and he did it all all pretty well until and until <laughs> despite some despite some flaws um, i will so. say I, I got to meet uh both him and ken wisenhunt when they were here wisenhunt talked down to me in a way i always felt like 
And Mike Malarkey was someone that would shake my hand and he would talk to me and answer my questions as if I knew as much about football as he did and I was trying to learn more. Not like I was just some person that had no idea what they were mm-hmm. talking about and it was a chore to have to talk to a fan. Yeah. So, good. So, I'm, I'm rooting for Malarkey. Uh, I hope he lands on his feet somewhere, and I think he will. I mean, he's already uh, been linked to the Browns' offensive coordinator position, which, I mean, that's not great. I would just take he's a year to deal with Hugh Jackson. That, to be completely honest. Yeah, I, I think he could still get a good job. I, I, I really do, because you've already written an article about him, Luke, that his offense— it has been successful in the past and still can be successful. But, yeah, this is uh, not some archaic 1970s offense. The reason it looks like that is Terry Robisky. I'm 100% convinced about that. Yep. It, well, it, he definitely didn't help. So. Yeah, well, okay. So, again, I, I know it's kind of a love affair right now with Malarkey as we kind of say our goodbyes to him. And, and uh, we do, I do appreciate everything he did kind of setting the ship right. But, by you know, by not stepping in and taking over for an offense that was floundering, in you know making mm-hmm. some kind of change as a former offensive coordinator yourself, when th- all this is happening, you're kind of bringing this on yourself. So it's not like this wasn't preventable. Like if he would have said, you know, uh, going into going after the Browns game, said, you know, that's not going to cut it. We're going to take this bye week and we're going to spend the whole week implementing these 12 plays and we'll still use some of your playbook, but we're going to use these 12 plays because I know these looks would help us. Then he probably wouldn't have been fired at this point. But nothing but happened. He, mm-hmm. No, he trusted his friend and sometimes that's great. And this time it wasn't. And the, the thing is, is I also know that he lied straight to our face when he said that uh, he thought the offense was fine because how many times have we heard this year that we haven't played a complete game? Mariota said it. He said it it played a complete game he said it over and over and over and then he's gone on and been so effusive in his praise about LeBeau I mean Mariota of all people saying that we haven't played a complete game that's like a that's like him cursing cursing and parting shots from him it's crazy and that's by the way that's a head coach's job we can argue you know what a head coach does which ones call plays which ones are involved in personnel whatever your job is to be the connection between the offense and the defense and to make sure you get the most out of both and when you say week after week we haven't played a complete game yet even into the playoffs then you're telling me I haven't done my job yet I haven't done my job yet and you say it week after week and then we win these lot these games where we only win by three but it's 30 to 32 and, and you know then we win games against Cleveland where it's 12 to 9 and I understand what you're you're saying, it but then overtime. all the other, yeah, but all the other games don't make me <laughs> yeah. sick. Like, it just it, it's something that I'm so tired of hearing. And there's a lot of cliches that we heard. And I, I honestly, because I've said this before, you know, I've heard some of the stuff that Mike Malarkey does that he doesn't talk about that other people say about him. And he is a remarkably kind person. He does a lot of charity stuff that he doesn't brag about. And I hope, so, I, I hope. If I hope he another community football, he, gets that same the same man that yeah. we had here. If mm-hmm. he can't find a job and as a coach, which I'm sure he can, I would love for him to come back to Tennessee and you know talk about some football and do some community outreach and that. I mean, he's a great guy, but 
Belichick's one of the meanest SOBs you'll meet. And, you know, <laughs> people, argue, you know, Tom Brady's still arguing with him today on a daily basis. And they've been together for over, you know, a decade. It, but he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. I mean, he's the best coach in the NFL. So, yeah. it, you know, but you I don't, don't I don't, have, at the same time, I don't want a mean coach to come in here. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't care. It is I don't long, care. As long as he gets the most out of the players, like, that's his job, and it's a sport, and it's entertainment. We all watch it because that's what it is. I would like for a guy like Wade Phillips, who you know people love Wade Phillips. I mean, I would love for a guy who has great, great you know communication skills and who people like love. I'd love for a guy like that to be successful. But at the end of the day, I would much rather have a successful coach who slowly becomes softer instead of you know, a soft coach who, you know, may never win more than six games. Yeah, I'm with you. And I mean, I, a lot of, a lot through this season, just how many games did we win because of malarkey and because of the offense? Zero. Like none of them. Yeah. And, and most of them was due to the defense and Dick LeBeau making some fantastic adjustments. Yeah. But- and, and the only thing you can really point to where you might say, well, that's a game we won because the offense is the Seattle game because of how the defense crumbled in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. But don't forget, the reason why we won that game is because DeMarco Murray had an like a 60-yard, 80-yard, whatever it was, uh, Mm 70-yard screen pass for a touchdown, and Rashard Matthews made all those guys miss on his back. It Mm -hmm. wasn't like it Mm was. There was one nice design with Jonu Smith in the backfield yeah. that scored a touch. Other than that, it was all the players exceeding the scheme. It, it, there wasn't some magical play call that they called. It was just DeMarco Murray with his best play of the year and, and Rashard Matthews with one of his you know best two plays of the year, and they just both happened to be in the same game. So, so it, it's not like there was this brilliant scheme that got them open in space and, you know, they got the defensive coordinator. It was just kind of lucky that both of those plays happened on the same day. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this on Malarkey. Uh, he gave us some of the best moments that we've ever had as Titans fans. Yes. That Chiefs win last year. Um, that Chiefs the win Jaguars this win this year, and the Chiefs win this year. So I'm, I'm glad that he that he gave us those. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I'll end with this. Um we, we talk about that Browns game, and I think that is the quintessential example of this season. Because when Ryan Suckup hit that field goal in overtime, I was very excited to not have lost to the Browns. And I pumped my fist, and I jumped up in the air, and I was happy that the Titans won because I'm always happy when the Titans win. But then, you know, 20 minutes later, once the adrenaline runs away and the game is over, you're like, man, that was a stinker, you know? Yeah. And I think that's how we all kind of feel, you know? We were so excited after the Kansas City game. And then after the New England game, we were like, you know, Titans lost in the divisional round. It happens. Everyone gets blown out by the Patriots. And then we kind of sat back and we heard that press conference and we thought, man, this was a stinker of a season. I think Blake Tucker on Twitter kept calling it the turd season. But (laughs) I think that's where you have to leave this. And so Mm -hmm. as we move on now to talking about the coaching search and the press conference that happened today on Monday with general manager John Robinson, there there are some things I want us Mm -hmm. to talk about that came out in that press conference. And I I think the thing he kept saying over and over again that became the theme and is going to be the theme of this coaching search and is going to be really evident in whoever they hire is, is having the ability to maximize players talent 
Because Malarkey, a lot of times, especially on offense, really failed to do that. Last season, we saw Mariota playing at times at an elite level. We saw DeMarco Murray making the Pro Bowl and showing he's still one of the elite backs in the NFL. And we saw uh, Tajay Sharp and Rashard Matthews sort of rising above their station, if you will, and playing pretty quality receiver. And Delaney Walker was good as always. But this season, it just didn't happen. And it never changed. Nothing ever got better. And we've said it all year long. It was square pegs and round holes all season long. And so now when they look for this new coach, they want someone that is going to take a Corey Davis, who was the fifth overall pick of the draft, a Marcus Mariota, who was the second overall pick of the draft. Um, Let's see, someone else. Uh, I'm trying to think. A running back, Derek Henry, who was a, a, a second round draft pick. Whoever they add at running back this year, because they're going to add someone, even if they keep DeMarco Murray, who, who takes these pieces that the Titans have. Taewon Taylor, a third-round draft pick. Eric Decker signed in free agency. Uh, Jonu Smith. Take these pieces and maximize their production and talent. Not try to plug them into your scheme and your philosophy and hope it works. Yeah, it, it's genre. it's it's the equivalent of how of like having Calvin Johnson on your team. I'm, I'm not comparing any Titans <laughs> players to Calvin Johnson. I think he's the best receiver to ever play the game. But it's like having Calvin Johnson on your team and like having him play offset fullback and block. That that's yeah, my analogy. I'm with you. And and I, I, that's why I think it's important that John Robinson in his press conference today. Um, said that they needed to go in a di- different direction uh, and they needed to maximize the potential of their players because he has brought in, in a lot of talent and I don't think anyone can really dispute that. Um, and the coaching staff just was not able to get that talent um, a- a- out of their players. Uh, and-, and we saw it all this season with Corey Davis. I mean, I know he was coming off an injury and he dealt with an injury uh, during the season, but I mean, in the last game of the season he catches two touchdowns uh when he finally plays 80 plus percent of the snaps and he gets a bunch of targets so why couldn't that happen earlier in the season um and 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 it's not it's not just him i mean the the entire offense was just terrible uh the defense played very well um and i I think that was a credit to dick lebeau for i i do feel like they did maximize their talent there um if dick lebeau is able to somehow come back with this new regime i'd be 100 percent okay with that uh, not many yeah. we'll, we'll I mean, if they hire an offense coach and LeBeau <laughs> comes back, I'd be fine. Yeah. And, and, and this coaching search is going to be interesting. I mean, there's already names floating around. Um, but I do find it interesting that um, it, it's been said that an offensive coach is probably going to be the priority. Uh, but the two um, reported interviews that the Titans have yep. already lined up, have been Mike Rabel and Steve Wilkes, both of which are defensive coordinators. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not I'm not sure what direction they're going to go with, to be honest. Well, I'm sh- I, well. I know you have a lot to say about maximizing players' talents. You brought up Calvin Johnson, which is the the perfect example. So I don't know how many of y'all are familiar with college football in Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech is not a pass first offense. Oh, they run the they, coolest little triple option tri- offense. Triple option. Yeah, yeah it's. It, but the point of their option, uh, their offense is if they never have to throw, that's great. But they recruited this kid named Calvin Johnson, who just turned out to be one of the best receivers in in NFL history. 
trajectory. And when they had him on his, their team, he averaged almost a thousand yards receiving a season, which is unheard of. I mean, he did it for three seasons. So when you get a guy who, you know, can help like Corey Davis or something like that, you change your offense to maximize that guy's talent. You know, the Titans right now have a guy named Marcus Mariota who's really good at running run pass options and running hurry up offenses and spreading the field out and finding the open guy and looking off uh, safeties and linebackers with his eyes when he, you know, he does all these little things so well. And what the Titans forced him to do this year was run the ball, run the ball with no audibles on first and second down. And then on third and nine, good luck. Everybody knows you're passing. I hope you can, I hope you can do something. And it was a nightmare of a season. It said that, set up one of the best young quarterbacks for failure. And I mean, luckily it's Marcus Mariota and he is not going to get crushed by this because he's just, I mean, he's just not, he's made a stronger stuff. And I think it's Joe Dubin from news channel four tweeted during the new England game that if Terry Robisky ever writes a book, it should be titled always third and nine. Yeah, that was, that was great. <laughs> I saw that too. And, I mean, and that's right. You know, you've got to maximize the talent you have. If you've got in, in, you know, we'll talk about potential head coaches later, but McDaniels is a name that gets floated around a lot. And, and the reason why McDaniels is so attractive to people is because he had Tom Brady. And then one game later he had, uh, or, no, sorry, to start a season, he ended up having Jimmy Garoppolo who started for three games and he did well in those games and he's, mm-hmm a little bit more mobile, and then for, he got injured or, or something happened, and then Jacoby Brissett had to start against the Texans, and they beat the – I mean, they beat the Texans by my – I mean, they killed them. And Josh McDaniel showed that he could use different quarterbacks and emphasize what they did best. I mean, he was running naked bootlegs. He was running read option. He was, I mean, he was running real collegiate offense on a week's notice because he knew that that's what that quarterback did best. And – that, that's what a good coach should do. So that's, you know, when people say maximize your talent, that's a coach that has shown that he can do that before. And that's why he's so coveted. And that, that's why people talk so highly about him. So when you talk about maximizing talent, that's the correct, you know, everybody says they want a scheme. They want a scheme. No, you want players that fit a scheme and then you want to run that scheme. It, there's so many schemes, you know, uh, we've talked about Brian Arakpo all year and how Dick LeBeau has done a terrible job using him and he's dropped him into coverage way too much and doing that just kills the defense that's not maximizing your talent and we've seen it on both sides of the ball all year and i think robinson who knows that this team that he's built is more talented than they showed is ready for a coach who can you know bring that talent to light so you know when you think maximizing talent think you know Josh McDaniels and how he used those quarterbacks and a coach that b- drops Brian Arakpo into coverage. And that's the best two examples I can give you. Um, so as we look ahead to the candidates, I don't want to spend a ton of time just sitting here listing off names and talking about how we feel about them, because I think we all know this has a potential to be not necessarily outside the box higher, but this isn't necessarily going to be Josh McDaniels, even though if you went to Vegas and placed a bet, that would probably have the best odds. Um, but so a couple of things about what will kind of be the fallout with this. Um, we know the players loved Mike Malarkey. However, most of them are probably just going to suck it up and play hard and try to win games with the new guy. 
But in terms of actual roster turnover, how much do you guys think that that's going to be an issue of, you know, new coach comes in and he says, you know, I might not want uh, Jonathan Cyprian playing strong safety, and I might want a faster slot corner than Logan Ryan, and so we're going to draft someone in the third round and just let Ryan play on the outside. You know, how much of that do you think is going to happen with whoever comes in? I really don't think there's going to be a lot of turnover. I mean, this is one of the most talented rosters in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, I I, Uh, I feel comfortable saying that. Yeah, and we really don't have too many um, impending free agents that are at least high-profile guys outside of maybe Daquan Jones and, I mean, whatever you want to think about, Avery Williamson. Uh, but I think keeping those guys is is going to have a lot to do with, with which coach comes in uh, and what defense he's going to play. Because if Dick LeBeau stays, um, I, I could see both of those guys coming back, maybe not Williamson, but Daquan Jones for sure. Uh, Bryce McCain isn't coming back, I could tell you that much. He's done. Um, he was playing special teams in the playoffs. Yeah, he's done, and and we, Weems might be back just because he's a really good special teamer. Um, Decker might be back. I, I thought he, he finished the season rather well despite all those drops. Uh, Eric Walden could be back too, I mean, if we play a 3-4 at least. Um, well, not not if we use him as a defensive tackle. In a stand-up defensive but, tackle. <laughs> stand-up defensive tackle, right. But um, no, I don't think there's going to be a lot of turnover or, at all. There's a lot of a lot of talented pieces um especially on offense um and, and in the tight end secondary plus we still have the draft to go uh where our new coach is going to be able to 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 pick some players and, and um and uh, mix them into in, into the already talented uh roster pool so but it's, it's definitely going to depend on who we get um if lebeau stays and what kind of uh, what kind of defense we're we're going to turn into because on offense uh i don't really see much changing except for maybe demarco leaving which which looks likely yeah i mean really the positions that kind of get lost in the shuffle or traded or you know cut or whatever when new coaches come in is front seven and uh running back and sometimes wide receivers or tight ends depending on you know if you're like malarkey and like to carry four or whatever so um I don't see a ton of, you know, potential turnover there. We've talked we've talked about Murray before, and everybody was talking today about how he was healthy, and everybody didn't know how or how he wasn't healthy, and how everybody didn't know about what kind of injuries he had. And that's probably true. He played like somebody who was health, who wasn't healthy. So, you know, if he gets healthy and they can fix his salary cap or whatever, and he's a good enough fit. I'm okay with that as long as they add somebody young there too who's a change of pace back. That that's fine. If not, he might be moved or he might get cut or whatever. So, you know, that's a position that could be changed. Other than that, this team is still better suited to run a four three from a personal standpoint anyway. Brian Rackpo and Derek Morgan should constantly be rushing rushing the passer or setting the edge. And Kevin Dodd has always been a better fit for a four three. Um mm-hmm that but Jarrell Casey's best years whether the league acknowledged him or not came when he was in a 4-3 as a three technique uh Austin Johnson and Dequan Jones can easily roll and play that one technique or you know play the three if they want to do something different but uh, you know Daquan Jones the, is a 4-3 a, a defensive tackle is exciting I think yeah, yeah absolutely close uh, you know I think him and Casey I, I think you could make an argument that he, Casey, and Austin Johnson could all rotate at three technique. And then uh, Daquan and uh, 
Austin Johnson could play one in base. Like, you know, you can – Yeah, and, and you still have your guys like a Carl Kluger, a David King, who are mm-hmm. more versatile pass rush types who could come in on yep. third down. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got – You can even play Kevin Dodd at defensive tackle on third down if you're in a 4-3. You could. Um, like – they, they actually did some of that in, in the game against New England. On some third downs, they would literally like line up Kevin Dodd at the nose mm-hmm. tackle spot. Yeah. I, I yeah mean, he did some things towards the end of the season once they started putting his hand in the ground, which is what he should have been doing. Th- things that make you anyway. think that he, if nothing else, will be worth a roster spot next season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's that if you can, okay, we've talked a lot about, you know, maximizing your talent. If you can find a defensive coordinator or defensive coach who can make Kevin Dodd look like he should have been drafted with the pick he was drafted with then you've got me sold because (laughs) if uh you know if you get a defensive like let's say you get Vrabel which is a name that's been floated around if Vrabel comes in and makes him look like you know Jadevian Clowney you know then great you know I'm I'm which by the way we're down on Jadavian Clowney, which some of y'all may listen and think like, oh, you can't be that world beater. Jadavian Clowney's fine. He's, he's fine. He's not great. Um, but if you can make Dodd look like Clowney and then you can, you know, elevate Arakpo and Morgan or just keep them at the level they've been the last two years when they've rushed the passer, then all of a sudden you've got, you know, three or four guys on your team who can be six plus sack guys per year. And then that changes a team. You know, now Adoree can take more chances because the defensive backs, they'll have to change kind of how they play, you know, depending on if it's, you know, the old school Tampa 2, cover 3. There, there's several different ways you can play your defense. But all in all, you're either playing zone or you're playing man, and that the only difference is when you do it and how you do it. And so there's, there's a reason that the Titans didn't draft any defensive linemen last year, and it's because they feel so confident about the ones they have, and there's a ton of depth at that spot. And give, yeah. give Robinson credit again there because, uh, you know, like I said, Matias was on. I mean, Matias has been very high on Austin Johnson for, and he's right. You know, it, it it looked like maybe that Austin Johnson wasn't worth the pick he got, but you know, looking this year, and Robinson said it when he drafted him, said you see a lot of those second round picks develop in the second year they're here, and now it looks like he's smart for not adding a defensive tackle when everybody wanted him to add, you know, Allen or somebody late in the first round. So. Uh, you know, another credit to Robinson for seeing the big picture long term and really adding somebody and developing them. Yeah. Also, I don't want to go off on a tangent here because uh, <laughs> we're not really talking about the roster. But I don't know why people keep saying D line is a need. It's I really not. don't think it's a need at all. Maybe edge pass rusher. It, it might be our most talented and most um, dense uh, position group on the entire roster. I think you need to add an edge rusher, but I mean, in terms of inside guys, you've got Jones, Johnson, Casey, Klug, King, and even Dodd can kick inside. So I don't think that's a need at all. Yeah. Yeah. Some some people are saying they want like another Jarrell Casey, and that's all good and dandy, but like Jarrell Casey is as good as some Hall of Famers have been. And that's not an exaggeration. Like you can't, you don't just find a Jarrell Casey, like unless you're drafting in like the top five, and and you draft like a DeForest Buckner or a Solomon Thomas, and hope that they are as good as Jarrell Casey. You can't just find a guy like that. You can say you want a speed receiver, and you can say you want a new power running back, but you can't say you want Adrian Peterson. 
Like it just doesn't work like that. It's it's because everybody wants everybody knows that you have two defensive tackles on the team, and they want. And they want the best one technique you can get, not realizing how little impact that position makes on a day, you know, or nose tackle. You know, the reason you know great nose tackles is because of what they did for their linebackers and other people. You know, Vince Wilfork was a good player, but it's not like he had 10 sacks a year. It, you know, it, it's it, there's this weird concept that Vita Vea is the guy that you'll hear a lot about, and he's okay i mean he did he does a lot of stuff well he's strong and does all that stuff he plays for washington right now but people are going to sell you on him being such a solid pick that you know he's a plug-and-play guy and all that and that's fine but how many one techniques do you really know in the nfl i mean you don't know a lot so everybody wants this idea of another jerome casey but you can't play two three techniques in a game or else they're just teams are just going to run straight down your throat so People who want that don't understand how this scheme works and what the Titans have on defensive line. It's just a weird thing. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's to another point about roster turn, turnover happening. Um, with the defense, I think they could play both a 3-4 and a 4-3. So whichever coach we even get, um, I really don't think there will be much roster turnover, turnover unless we get like Jim Schwartz and we need uh, 500 defensive linemen to keep switching in and out. <laughs> Um, so last thing before we head out, um, I, I, I want each of you to name your number one candidate and name a realistic one. I mean, I think we all three would love if like David Shaw could come in, but I don't think that's realistic. So number one realistic candidate. And if it's not that candidate, what, which side of the ball coach? Can we all agree we want an offense coach? I know, Will, you want, you want, uh, Jim Schwartz, but that's contingent upon him bringing in DeFilippo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think we I all thought, agree we yeah. need an offensive mind coming in here, not like, uh, well, Jim Schwartz is going to come in and bring Mike McCoy or something like that. Like, we want a young, innovative offensive mind, right? Yeah, at one point I thought I wanted a defensive-minded guy because I was tired of, like, the, the Wizenhunt malarkey offensive type of guys, but... No, we need Mariota should be the main priority. If it's an offense yes. guy, it needs to be a younger guy. Agreed. Uh, yeah. So I, I, my number one choice is Stoic Daniels, I would say. I mean, I, I think he's grown up a lot since his days in Denver when he had a lot of bad stuff happen. Um, and I think he, he has understood the Patriot way. I'm really impressed with his development of Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that he, he, he would be a valuable addition to any team. And he's right about the right age where he's not too young, but he's also not ancient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think McDaniels would be a good hire. I'm kind of uh, on board with either of the Eagles offensive guys, uh, DeFilippo or, or their offensive coordinator, Frank Reich, um, because they're both very off- offensive-minded guys that have done a lot of work with quarterbacks and Reich uh, in particular has also uh, been a wide receivers coach in the past. So I think he could be um, a really good candidate and could really help our offense take the next step. Yeah. I mean, you know, going back to mine, I, I, I'm a big believer that you need to have an offensive mind that understands how to nurture Mariota and how to get him in the right set, you know, how to get him in the right offense to really let him go. But I'm not at the point where I really think that has to be the head coach. Uh, I'm, you know, 
I'm like we talked about earlier. I'm a big Jim Schwartz guy. I think he, I think if he and Robinson got in a room together, Jim Schwartz would convince Robinson that he loves Tennessee as much as Robinson does. And I don't think that's wrong. Schwartz wanted the job last time. Uh, the quote unquote, those are the rumors that he wanted the mm-hmm. coaching job last time that it opened up when he was still in Buffalo, I believe. And uh, they they never interviewed him, and it, they got Wiz and Hunt instead. And, you know, we saw where that ended up. But, you know, he has always liked Tennessee. He's been very vocal about that. Some some of the people that played under him like him and still talk about him well. Uh, you know, he's doing a great job with the Eagles now. If you could get me him as our head coach and you could go ahead and set up, you know, draft another pass rusher and get that two defensive line rotation going like they have in – Philadelphia and just a constant, you know, with guys like Deshaun Watson and a banged up Andrew Luck and to a much lesser extent Blake Bortles, like if you get pressure on them, they will crumble and you know, you can ha- you can win a lot of games that way. And in this division, you need that. So I need a guy that understands that you don't have to win a game 48 to 42 if you can get in a quarterback's head. So I would I would not mind a guy you know like a like a Zimmer like the like mm-hmm. the Vikings have somebody like that who's knows that they're going to go after the you know you win games by going after the quarterback and by having a good offense that minimizes turnovers I, I get that it's not always super fun to watch but if you can give me that guy and then a powerhouse offensive coordinator like De Filippo or you know McCoy or somebody with a good background to you know run a good offense i think you could see a team that turns into you know the den the denver broncos when peyton manning was there not the year when they broke all the records but uh, where there were just a high-flying offense who you also had trouble scoring on and that that's what every team wants to be so if you've got to do you know i don't know any hot young defensive coordinators to you know plug into an offensive coach's system so i don't know those names but in my head i know that the staff i that i believe would work best together is a great defensive coordinator in schwartz and a great offensive mind in DeFilippo. and you know until i see them together and they don't work it's hard to it's hard to mm-hmm. convince me i'm well we, we will certainly mm-hmm. see uh as for the podcast over the off season, we have plenty of exciting coverage on the way, uh, but we are going to take a bit of a break. Uh, we, we will be back either uh, after the Super Bowl to sort of preview the off season and what's ahead and contracts and that sort of thing, or if the Titans hire a coach, we will be back. Whichever one comes first. Uh, until then, uh, it, it's been a fun season. I would I would think there were some downs, mm-hmm. there were lots of them, but it's been a fun season. Uh, it's going to be fun figuring out who the next head coach is going to be. Until then, for Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas, I'm Luke Worsham. Uh, well, we will talk to everybody uh, next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.